I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 4 to begin with, and then to chapter 8, verse 12. John 1, verse 4. In him, that is, in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. And then chapter 8 of the gospel in verse 12. Our Lord Jesus Christ speaking. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. In preparation for a class that I'm taking next month, I've been doing some reading about the leading philosophies of our day that influence the culture that we live in. These include secularism, pragmatism, positivism, humanism, pluralism, relativism, and so on. Each one of these various isms plays a role in the attitudes and actions that we observe in our current events and ideas. From Social Security to abortion rights, from Kevorkian to Clinton, all of these philosophies find their place in our culture. Each has a role in the attitudes and actions that we observe in the events around us. And we Christians are not immune to their influence. Our own attitudes, decisions, expectations, and choices are affected by these life philosophies. There's one thing that they share in common, and that is the denial of anything that is eternal and transcendent. Or at least they claim that one cannot know if there is something eternal and transcendent, that all that we can experience and know is the here and the now, the world that we live in. All of these philosophies have another thing in common. They represent the darkness of the world. They represent human speculation apart from God. They have little to give in terms of meaning to life or the providing of hope. These philosophies cannot guide to genuine pleasure nor can they make a better world for humankind. How in contrast to all of these philosophies of man is the simple statement of the Son of God who said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Other religions and philosophies result from humanity's groping to find significance and meaning in the midst of its spiritual darkness. But Jesus Christ delivers from darkness and brings abundant and eternal life. The Christ of Bethlehem is the source of life for all of those who will follow him. And besides him, there is no true source of life. 
When we speak of him being the light of life, what do we mean? Well, I'm saying in the first place that great darkness has engulfed humanity. That occurred when sin entered the world. Darkness that is both intellectual, moral, and spiritual came to be. One of the great German philosophers, whose name many of you would recognize, as an old man was sitting alone on a park bench. A policeman passed by and thought he was a vagrant. He went to this old, shriveled man and said to him, And who are you? And this German philosopher, who knew only the speculations of man, replied with a sad face, I wish I knew. How tragic to come to the end of life and not know the meaning of it all. Jesus Christ came to eliminate darkness and to redeem humanity, to know God and to enjoy Him again. This morning I want us to see that Jesus Christ as the light of life in the first place dispels the darkness of ignorance. Humanity after the fall drifted in its darkness away from the knowledge of the true God, the Creator. Turn with me to the book of Romans for a moment to the first chapter. Let's remind ourselves of these rather familiar verses. A cycle is here laid down that has been repeated over and over again in man's darkness. Humanity can know God even from the creation of the world. But it says in verse 21, For even though they knew God, they knew God, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Here we have the record of man's turning in darkness away from God and the tragic result of it. The man today has devised the theory of evolution. And that theory has not only been applied to biology, but to theology. In other words, there are theologians and others who believe that just as man has evolved from some primal state to his complex current state, so theology has evolved as well. They say that we began with animism, that man began to worship trees, rocks, animals, believing that these things had spirits in them, that they lived in fear, our ancestors. The object of their life was to make peace with the spirits and to ward off evil powers of these spirits. But man evolved. Man got better. He progressed, they say. And so he developed polytheism. 
which is the idea that there are many gods, so-called, each with a separate identity. And in history we see that uh, each great nation had its own pantheon of these gods that they developed. But evolution continued and man got better. The next step was henotheism, which says that there are many gods, but each nation has only one god. So instead of each nation having a pantheon of many gods, evolution says now each nation developed just one god. Although, because there were many nations, there were still many gods. And they say that the, the final step is monotheism. That eventually, man developed the idea of one supreme god who is over all of the nations. And so you see, the idea is that we started out worshiping the trees, and the rocks, and the animals. And we evolved, finally, to the idea where there is one god who is supreme. Is that the way it's been? The fact is, the truth is, just the opposite of that. Man began with the true knowledge of one God and degenerated from there. That's the truth. The religion of the tribal peoples today in the world, most of which is animism, or the religion of the Aztecs or the Mayans, or the Native Americans of our own continent. These religions are the end result of ancient ancestors who abandoned the true knowledge of God. And as a result of that, they came to believe in many gods and then to worship spirits and the rocks and the trees. And now we have the environmentalists who bow down to these very same things. Fullness of life is found only in the knowledge of the true God. And Jesus Christ, as the light of the world, came to reveal him to us. Back in chapter 1 of John, we have that remarkable verse in verse 18 that says, No man has seen God at any time. That is, no man has ever looked upon the pure essence of deity even though there were some who had a vision of God. He says, no man has ever looked upon the essence of deity. But he says, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he explained him. He is talking about Jesus Christ as the only begotten God, the unique one who is in the closest place of affection to the Father. He has come as the Word who was made flesh, as verse 14 says. And in human flesh, so that we could see him and hear him, he explained God to us. Jesus Christ, as the light of life, dispels the darkness of ignorance. Man gropes in his ignorance, in his darkness, going further and further away from God. But Jesus Christ, as the light of the world, comes to tell us again of the true God, that we might know him. So that no one today has to walk in darkness, the darkness of ignorance. The knowledge of God can be had 
And when it is gained, it will transform the life from one of darkness to light and from fear to love. As the light of life, Jesus Christ dispels the darkness of ignorance. Secondly, as the light of life, Jesus Christ dispels the darkness of separation. Now this darkness I'm talking about involved the forfeiture of the joy that people can have in fellowship with God. This darkness came also at the time of the fall into sin. Adam's fall resulted in separation of Adam and all of his descendants from God. There was an alienation that came to be. Since God is the light, to be estranged from him is to experience darkness, moral, intellectual, and spiritual darkness. After the fall, man was prohibited from coming back into the garden where he might have access to the tree of life. He was no longer able to commune with God in the garden as he had before. He was separated from God. Now God in his mercy made special provision whereby man could come into his presence. It required sacrifice. It required the death of an animal in the Old Testament. All of those deaths, picturing the ultimate sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ, by which man could again gain access to God. And so we see Adam and Eve coming back to God after being separated from him, clothed with the skin of an animal that had died on their behalf. Its blood was shed as an atonement for their sin. Abel offered up sacrifices of blood to God that he might fellowship with him. Noah did the same. Abram, Isaac, Jacob. Then, as part of his covenant with Israel, God instituted a whole year-long series of sacrifices, bloody sacrifices, that allowed man to deal with his sin by an atonement so that man could have access to God again. And then Jesus Christ came as the light of life. As the light of life, he came to dispel the darkness of man's separation. He came to restore all of those who will follow him to fellowship with God. Man can again experience the fullness of life the fullness of fellowship with God, the fullness of joy, the abundance of life that comes by knowing God and being in fellowship with God. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That is, that it may run over with fullness. And so to follow Jesus Christ, the light of life, means to be restored to union with God. It means to come back to God and to find one's life source in Him, in Him. 
We see seven togethers in the New Testament that describe this life source in Jesus Christ. They come from several books of the Bible. You will recognize them. We've been crucified together with Christ. We're dead together with Christ. We are buried together with Christ. We are made alive together with Christ. We are raised together with Christ. We are sufferers together with Christ. And we are glorified together with Christ. All of those togethers in the New Testament lay out for us what it means to be in union with Christ. It means that we have a life source that the world knows nothing about. It means that we have relationship with God, that we have the Holy Spirit living within us to bring to us joy and abundance and fullness, to bring to us the experience of light in a world of darkness. So as the light of life, Jesus Christ dispels the darkness of separation. Finally, as the light of life, Jesus Christ dispels the darkness of death. The darkness of death. Roger Garcia was a teenager who had an incurable form of cancer. Knowing that his life was to be short, he declared his faith openly to his friends and wanted them to know his Christ. His witness had such a ring of truth and conviction about it that one of his boy friends who came to visit him exclaimed, He talks like a man who's going to live forever. Well, that's exactly the point. Roger Garcia died in this world, but he lives with Christ. He lives forever. You see, as the light of life, Jesus Christ dispels the darkness of death. And oh, what a darkness that is. Death is the penalty for the fall. It all goes back to that, to man's fall into sin. The ignorance, the separation, the death. And that death for Adam and Eve and their descendants was not only physical death, it was also eternal death. It was, on the one hand, loss of a presence in this world. Physical death is to leave this world that we know and to go beyond it. It does not mean to end one's existence. One goes on to exist, but not in this world. It's a loss of presence in this world. And spiritual death is a loss of fellowship with God, resulting in a loss of meaning to existence. For those who are in sin, physical death leads to eternal death. Physical death results in a state of being banished forever from God. Three times... In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus warns about being cast out into the outer darkness. What is he talking about? 
Jesus is warning about the darkness of eternal separation from God in hell. Hell is an awful place for many different reasons. But one of the greatest reasons is that there is no light in hell. It is a place of absolute darkness. And with that darkness comes loss of meaning. There is no meaning to one's existence in hell. There is total loss of identity and purpose in hell. Because one is alienated forever from God. But the light of life, Jesus Christ, came that he might destroy death. The darkness of death cannot exist in the presence of Jesus Christ. It cannot. He is the light of life. The darkness of death is dispelled in his presence. John chooses to tell us the story of Lazarus. Only he shares this story in John chapter 11. His very good friend Lazarus, who died. In fact, Jesus delayed his going back to Lazarus' home so that Lazarus would die. Now, while that may seem strange, it was for the glory of God. Jesus made an astounding claim as he arrived there at Bethany, where Lazarus lived with Mary and Martha, his sisters, that little village outside of Jerusalem. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Martha came running out to him and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21. Even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. She said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha believed in the resurrection. She saw the resurrection as an event that was going to take place at the end of time, in the last day. And Jesus does not tell her that she was wrong. She's right. But what she failed to realize fully was what Jesus could do as the light of life. He didn't rebuke her for what she said, but he went on to say to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you're looking for a day that's coming in the future. Martha, I want you to know that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. That's what happened to Lazarus. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die in the ultimate sense. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. <coughs> Within a few minutes, Jesus stood before that grave, commanded it to be opened, and spoke the name of Lazarus, and commanded him to come forth. 
And shortly thereafter, still in his grave clothes, Lazarus stood there at the mouth of that tomb, alive again. The darkness of death is dispelled by the presence of the light of life. Even though believers, like Lazarus, may experience physical death and a loss of presence in this world for a while, we still live, they still live, with Christ in heaven. And one day we will again be in this world in new resurrection bodies. As the light of life, Jesus Christ dispels the darkness of death. D.L. Moody related this experience. I quote him, I was down in Texas some time ago and happened to pick up a newspaper And there they called me Old Moody. Honestly, I never got such a shock from any paper in my life. I had never been called old before. I went to my hotel and looked in the mirror. I cannot conceive of getting old. I have a life that is never going to end. Death may change my position, but not my condition, not my standing with Jesus Christ. If you meet me 10 million years hence, then I will still be young. Don't call me old. I'm only 62. I've only begun to live. And so it is with every one of us who know Jesus Christ. None who follows Christ needs ever fear death, either physical death or spiritual death. Jesus himself promised in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed. Notice the tense. Has already passed is the idea, out of death into life. Every one of us is born into this world of darkness to inherit death from Grandfather Adam. It is a dark death. But Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came that he might dispel the darkness of death. And he will dispel it for you, if you will be one of his followers. There was a Christian man who one time had a secret dread of passing through the portals of death. One night he was passing by a graveyard and he saw a little girl entering the gate. And she began to walk across the graveyard. He questioned her. Don't you dread crossing the cemetery alone, especially when it's so dark? Afraid, replied the little girl. Oh, no, I'm not afraid. My home is right over there on the other side. My friend, that's true for every one of us who knows Christ. Our end is not the cemetery. Our home is on the other side of it. The 
place that Jesus has gone to prepare for each one of us. And he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may be also. For some people, Christmas is a difficult time of year. It is a sentimental time. It can be a lonely time. Especially when you have lost someone who is dear to you. To death. And that is the case with some who are here this morning. And it may even be years ago that it's happened. But somehow at Christmas it seems to come with fresh hurt. A fresh sense of loss. Let's remind ourselves this morning of those who have gone before us in Christ. That they're home. They're on the other side. But like Jesus said, though they die, they still live. They're still living. Not in the physical body that they did in this world, but they're still living. And one day they'll come back with the Lord and receive a new body, as all of us will in that time of the rapture. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, came that he might dispel the darkness of death. At this Christmas season, as you look again into the manger, what do you see? Had you been there 2,000 years ago with those shepherds and looked at that baby in very simple swaddling clothes, you would have seen no extraordinary sight There would have been nothing outwardly that would have clued you or anyone else as to his identity. It had to be announced, and it was. But we know that incarnated in that baby, in that small infant, was the light of the world. In all of his glory, in all of his power, he was there. And he grew up to be a man, an adult. And he is the one who stood before a mass of people like this one this morning and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He offers himself to us today as the light of life if we will follow him. What does it mean to follow Well, it's more than to timidly explore the idea of God. It's more than to try God as though we're going to investigate with doubt and some certainty, in fact, that it's not really going to work. To follow Jesus Christ means that we understand who he is, what he did for us, who we are, And that we are committing ourselves to trust him and to obey him. To follow him means to give oneself to him without any reservation. It means to give oneself to serve him and to serve him alone. To follow him. William Henriksen says, Man must follow where the light leads. He is not permitted to map out his own course through the desert of this life. 
To follow him means that you will follow the light where he leads. One young African convert many years ago was in a school where he was visiting. And he watched some girls who were sewing, learning how to sew. And he noticed that the the thread that they were using always went wherever the needle went. And in that simple little task, he saw a profound truth. And that night when he had his prayers, he said, Lord, you are the needle. I am the thread. I'll follow you, he was saying, wherever you go. Those who follow Jesus Christ will enjoy the knowledge of the true God and will value learning his ways. They will no longer walk in the darkness of ignorance. Those who follow Jesus Christ will enjoy union with God, being accepted by him, and sharing in his life and his power, no longer walking in the darkness of separation. Those who follow Jesus Christ will enjoy freedom to enter into life's adventure without the fear of death and with an assurance of an eternal home in heaven, he will no longer walk in the darkness of death. Have you followed him? Have you made that decision that he alone will be the Lord of your life? If not today, as the light of life, he offers himself to you and he says, follow me. Let's pray. The command of our Lord is to follow him. His invitation is, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. If you are heavy with the load of your sin, weary with the guilt of it all, confused with the mess of your life, groping in your darkness, wondering how to make sense out of it, Understand that Jesus Christ is the light of life. And you may come to him today and let him bring his light into your heart and dispel forever the darkness that is there. O Spirit of God, may there be someone here today whom you would draw to the Savior that he or she might follow him in faith and be saved, and walk in light. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.